0: Hi, I'm Joe Seidel of CIFMA, and joining me today for our latest podcast are my colleagues Corianne Stephenson, Managing Director and our Head of Prudential Capital and Liquidity Policy, and Carter McDowell, Managing Director, Associate General Counsel, and Head of Prudential Policy at CIFMA. Uh, We're here to talk about the 2020 CCAR stress testing, particularly our long-standing concern with elements of the framework and additional considerations related to COVID-19. Results of the Comprehensive Capital Analysis and Review, otherwise known as CCAR, are expected to be announced within the next month. I think we heard a date of June 25th yesterday. Uh, Generally speaking, CIPA has repeatedly expressed concern regarding the CCAR approach to capital market products and those firms which are active participants. Our concerns center on the overly conservative assumptions related to the global market shock and the large counterparty default elements of CCAR, uh, which inordinately penalize, in our opinion, capital markets participants. So, Corey, just to begin here, can you briefly give us a little context and detail about those overly conservative uh, assumptions?
1: Sure. Thanks, Joe. Um, I think an important factor when you think about CCAR is the standard by which they uh, size the GMS and LDC stocks. Um, shocks. And that is a severe but plausible standard. And I think this is really critical because when you think about the GMS and LCD components, those are to be instantaneous one-day shocks to a trading book. So when we looked back from 2013 to 2020 and reviewed those factor shocks for a number of asset classes, we found that those asset, uh, those factor shocks represented far greater than any one-day historical move. Joe, in fact, for many asset classes, the GMS factor shock in one year would often represent a series of three to six months of historical one-day moves, which we think really doesn't comport with the instantaneous move feature of this part of CCAR. Our view, however, is that series of moves, that three to six-month historical one-day moves, are actually captured in the nine-quarter forward-looking component of CCAR. And that really leads us to another concern that the approach, the capital market players and um, the approach to the capital market players and products is inherently over conservative, over overly conservative and essentially double taxes, um, capital market positions because a capital market participant for a large capital market participant are actually required to both pursue the GMS and LCD path at the same time as they pursue the nine quarter path. I guess the last concern I'd also mention is the calibration. Um, We continue to be struck by the correlation assumptions across the GMS factor shocks. When I think about these um, GMS factor shocks as sort of a portfolio of asset classes, Basically, the embedded assumption is that everything is positively correlated. And each of those asset classes will experience historical worst case, near worst case, or greater than historical worst case performance at exactly the same time. I would suggest, if our listeners want to hear some more, they should check out the white paper that's on our website. Joe, back to you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, no, and, and, and yes, I think that's a terrific resource. Um, so Carter, turning to the 2020 test and what we're sort of in the middle of right now, let's move to that. And, and in his testimony earlier this month, Federal Reserve uh, Vice Chairman uh, Quarles indicated that the Federal Reserve was currently conducting a series of additional sensitivity analysis using alternative scenarios to reflect the current economic and banking conditions resulting from COVID-19 as part of this year or really as an add-on to this year's stress testing process. His remarks make clear that this would be separate from the analysis conducted under the severely adverse scenario uh, announced earlier this year as part of the 2020 CCAR exercise. Carter, why, why, why is this so concerning and why should firms be concerned as well as their clients?
2: Thanks, Joe. I'm gonna try and do a little bit of a translation of fed speak here for you. The stress test happens every year. The Fed comes up with a hypothetical scenario of things that could go wrong with the economy. It presents that test to the industry. They are given several months to write their responses and file them with the Federal Reserve. All of that happened between January and April of this year, like it has for the last 10 years. What Governor Quarles is saying in his speech is, after you've turned in the answers to your test, the teacher is going to change the test and grade the answers that you filed based on the changed test without giving you a chance to amend or alter your answers. And clearly that is not fair. Um, while we acknowledge that we are in a crisis with the COVID-19 um, pandemic, um, as Corey has indicated, and as she'll talk about in greater detail um, in the remainder of this, uh, we think that the hypotheticals that they've given are severe enough to take in the types of um, stresses that we have actually experienced. And if the Fed thinks that more needs to be done, there will be a stress test next year and you know there can be other filings. But the consequences of failing this test are really severe for the industry because it goes to their ability to distribute capital to their shareholders and what they can do with their balance sheet. So all we're really looking for here is some equity as they go about trying to assess what they're gonna, how they're gonna deal with with the circumstances that we're in right now compared to what they predicted they would be back in January.
0: No, you're you're exactly right, Carter, and it also you know goes to the level of capital that uh, they have to and they can put to work quite frankly supporting the economy and and supporting economic growth in the second half of the year. Um, so I think it, it is, it is, it is critical or, or, uh, ter- super important. Um, Corey, uh, turning to you, uh, back to you, uh, even beyond this sort of fairness and usefulness, uh, talk, uh, uh, about why it is wholly unnecessary <laughs> to do, uh, to layer on yet another element to the stress testing regime. Um, maybe you can give and give us a little more, uh, color on that.
1: Sure. Um, Before we go into the points of why I think it may be unnecessary, I think it's fair to set the stage and acknowledge that banks are in a really strong condition. In fact, the Federal Reserve in its own report acknowledged that. If I limit my comments just even to the very largest banks, their CET1 ratios are more than double than where they were during the financial crisis. I think it's also important to note that the balance sheet, the liquidity they have on balance sheet is significant. Um, almost a fifth of large banks' balance sheets are comprised of liquid assets. Um, and I think the other thing is it's important to acknowledge that the, the stage or the... Um, the stage by which banks operate today or the financial system is far more resilient than it was in the 2000 and 2000, 2007, eight, nine framework. And that's largely as a result of the Dodd-Frank Act and a number of um, the post-regulatory initiatives, which included like, for example, um, increasing, significantly increasing risk weights across a number of products, implementing capital buffers, TLAC requirements, liquidity requirements, Volcker. I mean, I could go on, and these are just not sort of on the top of my head. Um, and I think we've got to acknowledge that the system is far different than it was in 2007. And I think that comparison is important because this ain't 2007. This is a health crisis and not a financial crisis. Um, as such, I think the economic implications of... of the pandemic is not um, is not tied to the value of assets or bubbles, et cetera. It's tied to a virus and the transmission of that virus. Um, our assumptions uh, that we make about the, especially in CCAR, or the assumptions the Fed makes in CCAR, are really being based off of previous financial crises. And I think. That may not be as relevant or predictive because how, those, how it's different in the genesis and potentially the recovery of that. Um, I, I really think there is a lot of unknown here. So a hasty move, um, one that just requires a laying on of extra capital, I think, you know, could carry some significant cost. Um, you know, our view is that ramping up capital requirements uh, through an enhance- um, a much larger SEB will be very pro-cyclical, and it's really going to reduce a firm's or many firm's capacity to provide credit to businesses and households and intermediate the capital markets, which is core to an economic recovery. Um, my view is the Fed should maintain its approach Rely on the methodologies that have been tested and validated as part of CCar, um, and use that process to size the stress capital buffer. I, you know, my view is there's always time as the crisis, whether the crisis bends back to um, more normalized trends or gets significantly worse, the Fed has time, as well as the firms have time to react to that. But having a reaction that's way before where there's some clarity in the future really could have a far more negative impact in the end than what actually the, this sort of economic trouble could really have.
0: So we're, we're in a CCAR process right now. So they the global market shop and LPD is in the process or has been, you know, firms have submitted their tests. The Fed is evaluating it against their models. Um, what, what is wrong uh, or what is flawed in the CCAR 2020 test that would cause them to need to do more? Is, is the CCAR 2020 test somehow inadequate or has scenarios that, that cannot, uh, that are too, too lenient or too light in terms of dealing with something like COVID that they would have to do, uh, some type of add on or some type of additional analysis uh, to make up for that uh weakness in the test
1: so actually joe um we think the 2020 c car as it was structured and applied and rolled out in the early part of this year is sufficiently conservative um and in order to come to that assessment we um took a look at the march and april COVID period And we found that in many instances, the GMS shocks were still greater than a series of the one-day moves during that period. Um, it was almost for all asset classes. As we looked, the CCAR GMS were in excess. When we shifted that to a 10-day move, um, we saw that su- at times the COVID experience was greater than the CCAR shock, but not substantially. Or we found that the GMS factor shock was still greater than the COVID experience. I think it's also important that we have a very short um, Uh, time period between, you know, March and today. And if you actually extended that, um, it would, the GMS factor shock certainly looks more severe because many of these markets have come back uh, to near, you know, March or March 1st type of trading ranges. Um, As I mentioned earlier, creating a more significant, more draconian scenario at this early part of a health crisis. Um, particularly when are using the CCAR results to size the SEB, really may hobble an economic recovery. Um, but I guess we'll see that on June 25th.
2: Joe, can right, I no. go there too and, and also just make a point that if yep. they're going to do an add-on or some sort of adjustment and they're going to take into account the negative, what happened in the markets, then they also need to take into account the positives, all of the actions that Congress took by trying to um, stimulate the economy and the money that they pumped in, along with what the Fed has been doing with respect to monetary monetary policy and its programs. So if they are going to do some sort of add-on, it it needs to be a balanced add-on, taking into account all of the factors that have been at play in the economy, not just the negative ones.
0: Right, and in, in, including the the fact that uh, the banks have stood on their own two feet pretty well, and we're still waiting, quite frankly, for a lot of the federal dollars or federal support in, in many of these areas that were that have been announced, but that have taken. There's been some runway in, in putting them into place. So, uh, with that, no, thank you very, very much, uh, Corey and Carter. Um, you know, the next few months will bring greater clarity around the extent and permanence of the damage. Uh, to the US economy from COVID. As we've discussed today though, there is no compelling case in our view, particularly related to the capital markets to step away from the current validated methodologies for CCAR, including the sizing, the, S, the, the SCB. We think the results should stand uh, in the way that they were expected to and that the banks, uh, the expectations the banks were given and not be subject to, to any new testing, additional testing, uh, Uh, based, quite frankly, on on a bit of speculative theories. Um, The banking system by the Federal Reserve's own assessment entered this crisis sufficiently resilient. This affords the Fed the time to gain a uh, better insight into economic trends, Uh, pursuing a COVID-19 adjusted strategy, particularly at this point of the economic recovery, may result in a self-fulfilling prophecy. We are hopeful the Fed is considering all of these points and again we we recommend the blogs and our prior work on uh, on CCAR. To learn more about our work on this and more broadly in this uh, prudential space, please uh, visit us at cifma.org. There you will find the blogs and analysis mentioned today Um, and in addition our blog Pennsylvania and Wall I think is a terrific resource on, on any number of topics related to the capital markets. Thank you for listening today, and uh, we look forward to talking further in the future. Thank you.